Well, we've survived uh, Snowmageddon 2021. Uh, living in Oklahoma, we knew we would get some snow and some cold weather, but we assumed it would only be here in a day or so, and then it would warm up a little bit. And, you know, whatever snow we got would be melted really quickly. But not so in 2021. How foolish we were. On February the 8th, the high was 28. Uh, it would never get near that again until February 19th. I don't know if any records were broken, but some sure had to be close. Uh, two different days. Uh, one day the high was 7, another day it was 3. Uh, we had lows of uh, 6 below, two days. We had some frozen water pipes. We had a drain pipe to the washing machine was froze. Um, we had gotten the, the water pipes thawed out and uh, put in some laundry. And when it went to spin out, water went all over the place because the drain was frozen. But we were better off than a lot of people. I know there were people that had uh, broken pipes I know uh, no heat, no power for days. Uh, I think there's still some with no power uh, as I'm doing this. Uh, where our son was, they had no power for 21 days in Texas, or excuse 21 days, excuse me, 41 hours. Uh, but it was quite frigid all across the United States. Um, Sometimes I think we maybe should have waited a year before we moved from Florida. But you wonder, will any good come of this cold that there was? And without getting political, uh, I think people will be more prepared for the future. Now, when we lived in Florida and hurricane country, um, people had been there for years and they still weren't prepared when they would know a week 10 days out that there was a hurricane coming and everybody be running around in a panic uh, now we're in tornado country here in oklahoma and tornado season will be here before too long i guess and you know hopefully we'll be prepared we have a, a uh, generator one of those things you buy that you hope you never have to use uh, but there's always some people that just don't seem to get it. Uh, I know when we lived in western New York where we got all kinds of snow, when the snow season came, there were those that were caught completely off guard. Duh. Uh, Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 8, has a good lesson for us. It says, You lazy fool, look at an ant. Watch it closely. Let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. All summer it stores up food at harvests, stockpiles, provisions. Okay, it should be like, you know, we shouldn't have to be told that a hurricane is coming, so you need to go and get some supplies, batteries, stuff like that. Uh, you know, we were told a week or so out that the snow and cold was coming, and still people waited to the last minute to do whatever they needed to do to be prepared. I don't know. Somehow I think the rest of God's creatures instinctively do what needs to be done. But humans, not so much. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for your word. Lord, as we look at it today, Lord, let us gain some wisdom 
that may help us along the way. Because, Father, your, your word is full of wisdom from cover to cover. So, Lord, help us to see what you have to say to us today. Lord, I just pray that you will um, just open our hearts, open our minds, and just let your Holy Spirit speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a few weeks ago, there was the Super Bowl. It wasn't a real super Super Bowl. didn't turn out the way I wanted. I'm not really a, a fan of uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, but we were praying for them and rooting for them and, um, because our son-in-law is a big Kansas City fan. But everybody likes to be a winner. You know, in September, uh, there's 32 NFL teams that had their sights on the Super Bowl. They all thought that they had a chance to get there and to win it. Not one thought, you know, it'd be nice if we won four or five games this year. Wouldn't it? Boy, that'd be great. Come on, guys. You know, I mean, some teams, that would have been a realistic goal. But, you know, that's not the way we think. You know, academically, most students want to do the best they can. Now, I think they've, in some places, outlawed you know, valedictorian and salutatorian because that, you know, points out people. But, you know, still you want to do your very best. You know, teachers, most of them, want their students to excel. You know, in business, you want the best product. You know, whatever it is that you're selling, you want it to be the best. And you want to sell the most. You want to be innovative in your, in your field, whatever it may be. Churches, you want more people to come to know Jesus. You want to be able to go out and to help more people. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to win, you know, to be the best that you can. You know, and Scripture tells us that in several places. And let me just give you a couple. In uh, Philippians 3.14, uh, Paul says in the New Living Translation, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus is calling us. And then in 1 Corinthians 9.25, Paul says, All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So being the best that we can be means that we're using the gifts and talents that God has given us to the maximum. You know, getting everything that we can out of what we can do. You know, Jesus telling us about the, the three servants that were given money in Matthew 25, that the owner gave each one different amounts. And when he came back, he called him in to see what they had done. And the first two guys, they heard, well done, my good and faithful servants, because those two had done the best that they could. And that was what was expected of them. You know, the thing we need to remember about striving for number one is to be doing it honestly. Okay, you won't be rewarded by the Lord by doing things any way but truthfully, sinlessly, above board, honestly, and openly. Because we're accountable to the Lord for what we do, how we run our business, how we run our church, you know, not cheating on exams or uh, having somebody else do your homework uh, so you get a better grade. So we need to have others that we're accountable to as well. 
you know, someone or some ones are going to ask the hard questions. It's somebody that knows us well and can detect a problem because that's going to help us to excel. It's going to help us to do our best if we have somebody that's challenging us. But another thing to remember, what you're trying to do needs to be in God's will. Okay, if you're trying to get the prize in something that's not ordained by God, you're going to have trouble accomplishing what you're trying to do. Okay, so well, what do I mean by that? Well, let's say that you feel that you should be in sales. And so you take a, a position as a salesperson. You know, maybe you're selling cars or insurance or widgets or vacuum cleaners or whatever it might be. But you don't really possess the people skills needed to do well in that area. You know, that you're, you're not aggressive enough or you're too aggressive. Uh, and so, you know, that's really not something that you're going to excel in because maybe God wanted you to go in a different direction, maybe in the same area. Maybe instead of selling cars or insurance or widgets or vacuum cleaners, uh, maybe you're supposed to be in designing those. Maybe you're supposed to be in accounting. Maybe you're supposed to be in producing, whatever it may be. And in church, you know, maybe you really want to be the treasurer, but you're really not very good with numbers. And, you know, you're, you're kind of lax in, in doing things uh, in a timely manner. And, and so, you know, you're not paying bills when they should be paid and not paying the the choir director or whoever on time and and all and so but really you have the skills to be a really good trustee you know in maintaining things around the church and you know maybe you know you're the secretary but you know you show up late for meetings and you know you get to the meeting and say well you know i don't have copies of the notes the minutes from the last meeting and all but you know i'll, I'll get them to you I'll, I'll email them to you and but, you know, maybe you'd be a really good youth leader or junior high boy, you know, ministry person, whatever. Or maybe, you know, you really want to be in the worship band. And, you know, you, you played the guitar back when you were in high school, and so you got it out, and, and you really think you should be in the worship band. But, you know, you're really not that good. And, you know, you're just kind of about a half a beat behind most of the time. Uh, and, and so that's really not where you should be. But, you know, you would really excel if you were in children's ministry because those are the gifts and talents that God's given you to work in that area. So you have to follow God's plan, even if it doesn't feel like the best thing for you to do. Even though you might not feel you'll do really well at it, but if you follow God's plan you're going to do well at it. You're going to excel in that. Because God knows you better than you know you. Maybe hard to believe, but trust me, it is true. Well, we read this story in the Synoptic Gospels about Jesus being tempted by Satan. Mark gives a brief account of that, just a couple verses, which I'll get to. But Matthew and Luke, they go into a lot more detail. And now this was right 
after Jesus had been baptized by John the Baptist, uh, and starts in Matthew 4.1 and Luke 4.1, it tells it basically the same thing, uh, but I'm going to use the NIV through most of this. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'm going to... Excuse me. I'm going to use Matthew's account. So starting in Matthew 4, 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, Luke in 4, 1, in the beginning of uh, verse 2, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Okay, so... What, what was the purpose of these 40 days? Well, I guess we have to look at it and say, well, you know, it was just, it was part of God's plan. You know, it had to be because, it, you know, it involved, you know, the Holy Spirit leading Jesus, the Son, into this. But but why? You know, what, what was going to happen in this? Or, you know, what was going to make a difference? So let's kind of take this apart and see if we can maybe figure it out to some extent anyways. But there's an important word in both accounts because it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit or by the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a different Greek word for each one, but they both mean the same thing. Uh, that Jesus was set forth or launched or led or go or carried so it sounds like Jesus went willingly, not forced, not promised anything in return, not coerced in any way. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> maybe it was part of God's plan long before Jesus came to earth. You know, that even maybe before creation, you know, the Father and the Son sat down with the Holy Spirit and they said, you know, this is what we're going to do sometime in the future. You know, Jesus, you're going to go and be born as a baby on the earth. And, you know, for 30 years, you're going to learn how to be a carpenter and, you know, do some carpentry work and all. And then, you know, you're going to get baptized by your cousin, John, that's going to be born shortly before you. And then, you know, I'm going to have you being led out by the Holy Spirit here into the desert for 40 days. You know, so maybe that was all set up. You know, maybe he knew he was going to be getting baptized by John the Baptist. And he knew that he was going to have to go out into the desert for 40 days. You know, not a 40-day vacation. You know, he wasn't going down to the Mediterranean seashore, you know, for 40 days. And just enjoying himself, laying in the sun. But 40 days of preparation for the next three years, 40 days of fasting. Luke says he ate nothing during this time. So let me back up just a little bit because I want to see what Mark has to say. In Mark 1 verse 12, it says, At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Now in the King James, that was the NIV, in the King James it says, immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Well, driveth, not as in, hey, Jesus, hop into my Jeep, and let's go on out into the desert. 
No, but driveth means to, you know, kind of force out. Uh, you know, the word there means that, you know, to put forth, to send away, to expel. So that gives a really different picture than what Matthew and Luke give us. And, you know, I think I, I'm going to go with the, the lead part. Uh, that wins two to one. Uh, Matthew and, and Luke against Mark in this. But I guess I don't like the idea of thinking that Jesus was forced out into the wilderness for this. Now, most translations agree on the word wilderness, okay, with Greek meaning that it was a desert or it was a desolate place. So, you know, we can picture a place that has little to nothing there. You know, the, the dictionary translation or definition of wilderness is an, an uncultivated, uninhabited, and inhospitable region. It doesn't sound like someplace you want to go for 40 days, okay? And Jesus was led there. But now comes the interesting part, because it says that Jesus was tempted by the devil. Now, Mark and Luke make it sound like Jesus was being tempted for throughout the 40 days. Now, Matthew makes it sound more like Satan showed up at the end of the 40 days, and then he was tempted. So, whichever way it was, uh, we know the temptations that came at the end of that 40-day period. So, whatever the time period, we know that the torment of Jesus was there for sure. So, what does it mean that Jesus was tempted by the devil? Now, the Greek word there for tempted is pyradzo, which means to go about or to prove, to examine, or to tempt. So, as far as we know, this was Jesus's first earthly encounter with Satan. Now, he had dealt with him before in heaven. And again, this may have been no surprise to Jesus that he knew that at some time in the desert, in the wilderness, he was going to meet up with Satan, you know, again, and be tempted by Satan for 40 days or at the end of that 40 days. But he knew that that time was going to be coming. So this was the end of Mark's teaching on the subject, except it said he was with the wild animals and the angels attended to him. Okay, now we know he was fasting for 40 days, so I'm not sure what is meant by the angels attending to him. Uh, because, you know, if you're fasting for 40 days, you're not having somebody bring you food. But, so let's look at the three temptations. Okay, number one, since Jesus had fasted for 40 days, Satan knew that Jesus was hungry. And so he wants Jesus to turn the stones that are there into bread. And Jesus responds in Matthew 4, 4, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 8, 3 there. And Luke's response to Satan 
is similar to, to Matthew's. But if Jesus wanted to turn the rocks into bread, he didn't need Satan to come along and say, hey, I got a good idea, Jesus. Why don't you just turn these rocks into bread? You know, Jesus could have done that on day two and every day since. But he didn't. He went there for a purpose. He went there to fast. So Satan's using the physical. You know, you're hungry. You know, just turn these rocks into bread. And Jesus comes back at him with a spiritual. Because Satan can always be defeated with Scripture. And who knew that better than Jesus? Well, the second temptation, well, the second and third, I should say, uh, Matthew and Luke have, have them switched, okay, which is, to me, no big deal. But I'm going to go with Matthew's uh, version of what happened there. So Satan is going to try another physical temptation, but it's got a twist to it, okay, because it says that Satan took Jesus to the top of the temple in the holy city. Luke says he took him to the temple in Jerusalem, but holy city is Jerusalem. And here, Satan uses scripture as well. Because Satan says, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan was quoting Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. Well, Jesus, being the wiser of the two, responds, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. From Deuteronomy 6.16, it's like, okay, you want to play this game, Satan? You know, I'll take you word for word. You know, you can take something out of context and use it whenever you want to. But I'm going to defeat you because I wrote this. Okay, this is the words that I gave to men to put down. Then we come to temptation number three. Okay, I'm going to stay with Matthew in chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. It says that the devil took Jesus to an exceedingly high mountain. Okay, in the King James. Okay, and there Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And Satan tells Jesus, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. Okay, just look at all this, Jesus. Look at all these places all around the world. Places that people here don't even know exist. Okay, people here have never been to most of these places and don't even know that they're even out there somewhere. And Jesus' answer is a no-brainer here. He says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Okay, from Deuteronomy 6, 13. Luke's final encounter between Jesus and the devil sounds a little different. Okay, in Luke 4, 13, it says, When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him, meaning Jesus, until an opportune time. Hmm. That sounds pretty mysterious, doesn't it? So, again, why, why did this have to happen? Okay, the first reason it had to happen 
was the 40 days was a time of growth and preparation. Okay, Jesus, you know, we, we don't know what he'd been doing for those 30 years other than being a carpenter. Okay, apparently he hadn't been teaching. Uh, we don't know that he did any miracles or anything else. And so, you know, we don't know what was going on. So this was a time that he probably spent a lot of time in prayer, making sure that he knew for sure what his assignment was, going over the scriptures in his mind that he had helped write for hundreds of years, preparing himself to meet up with the devil and ready to bring one thing, victory. If Jesus would have fallen to any of those temptations, he wouldn't have been our savior. Okay, Jesus needed to show us that victory over Satan is possible. That no matter what your temptations are, you can have victory. The devil used three different ways to tempt Jesus, using his ability to, to just to make something happen. You know, yeah, you just turn these stones into bread, Jesus. You know, you're hungry. Well, sometimes we'd like Jesus to just make things happen. You know, Lord, let me find a, a check for $1,000 when I go to the mailbox so I can get caught up on my bills. Lord, let me, you know, get a, a good deal on a car. Or Lord, you know, just, you know, make the the mate that you have chosen for me just kind of appear out of nowhere. And God could do all those things. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't fall to that. Satan tempted him to have God to, to keep him from danger. You know, he said, you know, the angels, it says in Psalm 91, will hold you up in their hands. You know, wouldn't that be great if believers were kept from ever getting injured or ever having any illnesses? I mean, no broken bones, no pulled muscles, you know, no sickness of any kind, no back aches. That, you know, God could keep all the viruses and cancer and all the heart problems and everything away from Christians. Wouldn't that be amazing? And the, the last temptation was, you know, being rich and famous and powerful. You know, the devil said, I'm going to give you all these kingdoms, all the kingdoms in the world. You know, it, sometimes a lot of people fantasize about some of those things. You know, wouldn't it be great to live in that great big house down the street, with all that land and the gardens and, and all? You know, wouldn't it be great you know, instead of being, you know, the person stuck in this little cubicle 40, 50, 60 hours a week, that I was a boss. I was in the, I was at one in the corner office. And, you know, I come into work when I want to. If it's nice out, I stay home or I go play golf. You know, wouldn't that be great? You know, and sometimes we fantasize about those things. And, you know, maybe with good reason. But each temptation was defeated with scripture. Even when Satan knew scripture, Jesus came back at him and said, don't take that out of context. That's not what that means. This is what it means. So why did Satan use scripture? 
Well, probably because he thought maybe he could trick Jesus. You know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna quote this psalm, and you know, maybe Jesus will say, "Hey, yeah, you're right." You know, it does say that. But I think it happened maybe for another reason to get us to think about who Satan is. Satan is not that red creature with horns and a long tail and a pitchfork. Satan can appear as anyone, a man or a woman, a young person, an old grandfather, grandmother, a rich person, a poor person, someone that you know, a stranger. It can be someone that you expect or it could be somebody that would really surprise you. We don't know what form Satan may take to come and to try and, and trick us. And we need to remember what Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then Paul goes on to talk about putting on the full armor of God. And when he talks about that, only offensive part of that armor is scripture, the word of God, the sword that Jesus used to defeat Satan. Well, Paul has this for us in 1 Corinthians 1557. He says, thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only will the scriptures defeat Satan, but just one word will defeat Satan. Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ, you need to get your hands off of me. I am a child of the King. Satan, you need to leave me alone because I belong to Jesus. John 14, 13 and 14, Jesus says, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Jesus, just protect me. Jesus, just keep your hand on me. Jesus, in your name, just help me to accomplish what you need me to accomplish here. In Jesus' name. Okay, now there's a lot more of those verses, but it includes just defeating Satan in whatever way we can. Well, the obvious song to end this message would be what? Victory in Jesus. And I planned on using that until I went to worship on Sunday. Because there's a song that I don't remember hearing before, but it's a song that's written by Life Church. It was on their CD in their music. And it's called Woman War. And the chorus to that song goes like this. The battle rages, but you have won the war. You've seen my sin, still you call me yours. And there's no fear now that you haven't conquered. And all these demons, they run at your command. All my shame falls away in your hands. And there is no darkness where you won't shine brighter. We have victory in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Father, I just give you thanks for my brothers and sisters that know you and love you and serve you in so many different ways. Lord, just be with them and keep them strong. Help them to call on you and to call on your word because, Lord, we face Satan many times in many ways, in many places. 
And Lord, you have given us a victory. So Lord, help us to remember that, that there is victory in Jesus and Jesus alone. And Father, we just need to, to call on his name and to, to use your word to come against Satan because he's going to fail every time. But Lord, there may be someone that's listening that, that doesn't know you. That Lord, somehow they stumbled across this podcast and, and thought they'd listen in. So Lord, if there's one person that, that describes them, Lord, let them know that, that Jesus loves them too and that Jesus will give them victory too over no matter what they're facing. Lord, whether it's a troubled relationship, whether it's financial problems or physical needs, Lord, no matter what it is, that Satan's there ready to make us victorious. But Lord, you can't get victory in Jesus until you know him and you're a child of the King. So Lord, let them know what they need to do, that they need to admit that they've been a sinner, that they need to turn their life over to you and ask for the help that only you can give. It will come no other way, no other place, but only through you. That Father, they need to pray like this. Dear Lord, thank you for your son who died for my sins. I know that I've sinned. I know that I need your help and only you can help me. Thank you for the victory that I receive in accepting your Son as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.